telling our, our pastors that attend the pastor's conference on every Monday morning that I just love to preach Christmas messages. There's just something about God, the God of the universe, desiring to step out of the glory of heaven and come save me. And I just pray that uh, it blesses you as well. But do you ever get tired of people responding, huh? What? What did you say? It seems like some people, uh, their very first response to anything you ask is, huh? They don't listen to what you say. They say, huh? What? When we speak, we want people to listen. When we speak, we want to be understood. So to do so, we got to grab somebody's interest first. If we want them to listen, we got to grab their interest. Do you know why you never see a dead crow in the road? Because the one in the tree is saying, caw, caw. <laughs> Come on, y'all. It's Christmas. <laughs> well, let me try again. There was a man who was trying to train his mule. And the very first thing that he did was he grabbed this big stick and he went whack right between the ears of that mule. A mule staggered around and somebody said to the owner, hey, why did you do that? Why would you hit your mule? And the owner said, in order to teach a mule, you first got to get his attention. Now, that may not be so true about mules, but it's true about people, Amen. Sometimes you got to do something dramatic to get their attention. It, uh, it may not be true of all people, but for some people, especially those who are not believers, sometimes you have to do something dramatic to get their attention. So uh, if we want communication to be effective, then we are going to have to get people's attention. And I'm one who happens to believe that as Christians, we should celebrate Christmas all year round. Amen? I believe that we ought to be telling people that God stepped out of the glory of heaven and he came to earth robed in flesh and he lived and he walked and he, he, he did all the same kinds of things that I did except for the bad stuff. And he also uh, was tempted just like I'm tempted. God actually allowed that to happen. So I want to ask, being that we celebrate Christmas all year round, how did we do last year? Did your commitment to Christ grab somebody's attention? Did, um, as you came into contact with other people, was it absolutely clear to whom you belong? Did anybody hear about Jesus from you last year? Every year, we need to be reminded that Christmas is not really about friends and family. That Christmas is not really about shopping in Santa Claus and reindeer. That Christmas is not really about giving and receiving gifts. Christmas is about a person. A person. Years ago, a pastor of a small church sent 
one of his church members into the big city to go and get a Christmas sign that was going to be posted outside the church. But the man lost the little note that the pastor wrote the dimensions of the sign and, and what was going to be on the sign. So he wired back in the day. He telegrammed a person or telegrammed his pastor, rush copy of motto and dimensions. Well, apparently there was a new clerk working at the Western Union office. And because uh, she was very, very nervous when she got this reply, unto us a child is born eight foot long and three foot wide. <laughs> That's some baby, amen? For her, that message was very unclear. But today's message, friend, is intended for you, and I pray that it's incredibly clear. The message today is found in the Gospel of John. Now, John's Gospel is a little bit different. John's Christmas is a little bit different. John doesn't have angels in his Christmas. He doesn't have shepherds and wise men. He doesn't have the star. He doesn't have the manger. He doesn't even have a babe in swaddling clothes. But in a very unique way, in the first two verses of the Gospel of John, all we need to know about the person of Christmas is revealed. Did you know that the Ten Commandments has 297 words? Did you know that the Bill of Rights contains 463 words? Did you know that Lincoln's Gettysburg Address contains 266 words? I also read about an Atlanta Journal report where they were reporting on a federal directive regulating the price of cabbage. 26,911 words. That's typical of politics, isn't it? But this verse in John chapter 1, one verse, verse 1, contains 17 words. And one commentary says about John 1, verse 1, that these 17 words are the most compact and pulsating theological statement in the whole Bible. 17 words. And near the conclusion of his gospel, John states his goal for you and I, and he makes his purpose clear. In John chapter 20, John wrote in verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He makes his purpose clear. John wanted you to know who Jesus was, but he also wanted you to know what he can do for you. But who is this guy, John? Who is this author? Well, John's mother was Salome, and Salome was the sister of of the Virgin Mary. So, therefore, as earthly cousins, John knew Jesus of Nazareth. He knew him for a long time, but it wasn't until far later that John knew Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, 
Jesus the Savior. Therefore, in his gospel, in his good news account, John simply tells what he knows to be true. And he sets forth to give evidence to you, friend, to give evidence that, that Jesus is the Christ. He gives, sets out to give evidence that any person in any age, in any place, can wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is the Savior. Now, many of you know that uh, I used to be a telemarketer. For 12 years, I worked at a, a transmission parts house and uh, would work by telephone to call these transmission shops and try to sell them the parts that I had to sell. Don't you just love telemarketers? <laughs> Amen? Do you remember back in the day when they used to call around dinner time? Amen? To try to sell you something. But I want you to see in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, that John breaks all the rules of telemarketing. To begin with, John just kind of blurts out the message. He just blurts it out there. Second, he doesn't start with something easy to understand and then work up to something more difficult. He also doesn't work where everybody agrees and then states his alternative belief. No, he is not trying to please the listener. He's not trying to please those who would read this gospel. He comes right out and he says in verse 1, the most demanding and potentially divisive words in all the world. He says simply, Jesus is God. But he says it in a very interesting way. He says it by speaking about the word. The word. What is it that he's talking about? Well, we don't really know what he's talking about until verse 14. We realize he's not talking about speech. But obviously he's talking about a person. Let's read in John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friend, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. Friend, this person that John is writing about is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God. The word is the son. Alright? Now, just like the words of men kind of reveal what they're feeling. Just like the words of men kind of reveal what they're thinking. John simply uses the word, word, to try to tell you what God is up to. He wants to tell you what God is wanting to express to you. That God is wanting to express himself to you. That God is wanting to express himself to all people. And he did so through Jesus as he walked on earth. By stepping out of the glory of heaven, coming into our world, Jesus perfectly reveals to us what God is like. He perfectly reveals to us that Jesus cares for us. He also perfectly shows us by dying on the cross that God loves us so much that he would step out of heaven and come to walk the same earth that you and I walk. So in this way, God has shown, uh, shown all of us that he's not some distant God. 
He's shown us by, by coming to earth that he's not some uncaring God. Rather, he adores us and he seeks an eternal relationship with us. And so he chose to reveal himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus is, get this, the living embodiment of God himself. Jesus is, say, living. Jesus is the living, say, embodiment. Jesus is the living embodiment of God himself. Say, of God himself. Jesus is the living embodiment of God himself. What's really remarkable about that is that by, by stating this, John says that all the other possible conclusions about Jesus are false. It flies in the face of people who say Jesus was just a nice guy. It flies in the face of people who say, well, Jesus was a pretty good prophet. It flies in the face of those who would say, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. No, he was far more than that. Those descriptions are far too inadequate of the word. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, we're given three qualities as Jesus reveals to us as the word of God. Let's read that together. In the beginning, amen was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. Three qualities that Jesus reveals to us as the Word. First, Jesus reveals to us as the Word is God's creativity. He reveals the creativity of God. John starts his story so that we will think of Genesis chapter 1. He says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He wants us to think of Genesis. You see in Genesis God spoke a word and it happened. Did y'all get that? He spoke a word and it happened. The heavens and the earth. Ocean and stream. Trees and grass. Bird and fish. Animals and humans. God spoke the word and it happened. Everything that's seen and unseen was called into being by the spoken word of God. And John wants us to see the connection here. He wants to see the connection between the Genesis events and what's revealed in the word, in Jesus. Only this time, instead of using words like he did when he created the universe, God's word takes on a human form a human form, and enters into history as the person of Jesus Christ. But John wants to do more than just fix our sights on the Genesis events. He also wants us to see this, that in Jesus, you and I are given an opportunity for a new beginning. A new beginning. There's a brand new start that's happening here. There's a brand new creation that's available to you here. It's the very thing that Jesus told Nicodemus. Do you remember? He said, in reply, Jesus declared to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless, unless what? Unless you are born again. Unless you have this new beginning. Unless you become this new creation. 
You see, the Word, Jesus Christ, creates a new life. It's a life that doesn't last just for a short period of time. It's a life that lasts for all eternity. And I want you to know that Jesus can begin a new work even right in the midst of a previous work. God, Jesus, the Word, does a mighty work in you. So have you experienced new life in the word have you been born again have you partaken of this new beginning that the word provides for you the first quality jesus reveals to us as the word is god's creativity the second quality jesus reveals to us as the word is god's eternity friend i want you to know this there has never been a time when the Word did not exist. He's always been. In the beginning was already the Word. He was already there. He wasn't just born in the manger. He was already there when the universe was created. He was already there. And to show us the eternity of the Word, John tells us that the Word existed before creation. That he was there with the creator. He was already there with the creator. Therefore, friend, God the Son was not created. He was already there. He's always existed. So, when you think of Jesus, don't you start in the manger. When you think of Jesus, don't start with the announcement of the angel to Mary. When you think of Jesus, don't start with the angels or the shepherd or the wise men. You must consider him in terms of eternity past and also eternity to come. He's always been there. Now, not only was he already there, not only was he alongside the creator, but he was with God, the Bible said. He was with God. The creator. Let me explain what that word with means. That word with implies a very great intimacy between the word and creator God. That word with describes a separate personality who was continually face to face with God the Father as he created the whole universe. Separate personality, but he was always there with him. With describes Absolute understanding and complete unity. God and the Word are one. With describes the most intimate of relationships with absolutely no disagreement. With describes a likeness and an absolute equality. The Word's always been there. He was with the Creator. He was with God. You know why? Because He is God. Jesus is God. And this brings us very close to the third quality revealed to us as the Word. And that is, Jesus as the Word reveals God's deity, His God nature. Now, I really enjoyed the movie series entitled The Chronicles of Narnia. I bet you many of you haven't seen that, but a great movie series. If you get the opportunity, you need to see it. It's great for kids, but it's also great for adults, and it's got Beautiful Jesus overtones in that movie. But in the second book, 
of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, there's a, a little girl named Lucy. And Lucy has re-encountered Aslan the lion. Aslan the lion is the symbol of Jesus Christ. And as Lucy has re-encountered uh, Aslan the lion, the, the, the symbol of Jesus, she gazes into his large face and she says, Aslan, you seem so much bigger than before. And Aslan says, that is because you are older, my dear. And Lucy says, not because you are bigger? No, he says, it's because you have grown up. I'm not bigger, but as you grow, I get bigger in your sight. Aslan the lion had it well, saying, like Jesus would, I'm not bigger. But the more you grow, the bigger I become. Every time we study the Gospels, friend, with every Christmas that passes, our Jesus should grow bigger in our sight. As we look on the deity, the God nature of the word, we should certainly find that to be true, that Jesus gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because he is God. He was God. And he is God in every way. Though they are separate and they're not identical, they're one. They're one in essence. They're one in nature. They're one in their desires for you. And friend, when you see the word, when you see Jesus, you see God. Whatever you say about God, you can say the same thing about Jesus. John's not saying that there's something godly about Jesus. No, he's announcing that Jesus is God, and he's saying it clearly, he's saying it emphatically, he's saying it forcefully. Jesus is God. And he's saying that if you look into the face of Jesus, guess what you're going to see? The face of God. And if you want to know what God is thinking, just listen to Jesus. He is God. So my question to you is, are you listening? Are you listening? Friends, for centuries, God-fearing men inspired by the Holy Spirit of God foretold who Jesus would be. Listen to the wonderful power in these verses. In Isaiah chapter 7, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to what it said about the place where Jesus would be born. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me the one to become a ruler, a ruler of my people, whose goings forth are from old, from all eternity. He's always been God. He's always been there. Those scriptures are so clear. They're so definite. I wonder why didn't people get it when he came. But don't be too critical. You would have to agree with me that God with us, that God in the flesh, is a whole lot to try to comprehend. That's a big mouthful, amen? I mean, God with us? That is an incredible, incredible mystery. The thought of God becoming a man? That's difficult. The thought of God becoming a baby? That's real difficult to understand. The ancient man of God, Augustine, wrote this poem 1,600 years ago. He wrote, maker of the sun, he's made under the sun. In the father he remains, from his mother he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven unspeakably wise he is wisely speechless filling the world he lies in a manger ruler of the stars he nurses at his mother's bosom he is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of of a servant. Oh, the mystery of it all. Friends, in spite of our ability to understand it all, we want to rejoice that God has come. He has come and He has revealed Himself to us today. As the angel, as the angel announced to the shepherds in Luke 2.11, for there is born to you today in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All those foretellings, all those prophecies in the Scriptures were finally being fulfilled in this one little baby. Jesus was born. God in Jesus was born. And you know why He was born? He was born because we needed help. We needed help. And in order to get that help, he had to be God. Because, friend, no simple human could provide the supernatural help we need. He'd be useless in my gravest emergency. He'd be useless in my greatest need unless he was God. See, a human Savior alone is no godly hope. But Jesus, fully God, fully man, the perfect representative of heaven, but also the ideal representative 
of what men and women should be on this earth. This tiny little baby. This little bitty baby that we celebrate is the Word. The Word of God. It's the greatest revelation of God's desire for you. It is also God's greatest expression of his love for you. This little baby that we celebrate is God in the flesh. So to celebrate Christmas right this year, why don't we celebrate the new beginning that Jesus offers us every single day? I find myself more and more celebrating in my quiet time in the morning that God gives me a new beginning today. To have a, a right Christmas this year, why don't we celebrate the eternal desire that Jesus has for you? And that is that you be close to him. How incredible that God, the creator of the universe, wants to be close to you. To celebrate Christmas right this year. Celebrate that born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he came for you. He is God with us. He is God with us, friend, and he speaks to you. He is God with us and he provides you with the supernatural help we need. God with us, he satisfies this greatest spiritual hunger we have. You may not even know it, but the greatest spiritual hunger that you have is to be with God always. The word offers that to you this morning. Have you partaken of that new beginning? Have you humbled yourself and said, I want to be part of God's eternal desire to be with me? Have you begun to celebrate yet this tiny little baby who came for you, who lived here for you, who grew up and died for you to give you the supernatural help you need so that you can fulfill the yearning of your soul to be with God always. I pray that we can celebrate Christmas that way this year. And I can't think of a better way for an unbeliever to celebrate Christmas than to say, I received this child. I received the gift God gave of this child. Have you? Have you been listening? Have you been listening to the word? Father, what selfless love you exhibited by stepping out of the glory of heaven to be with 
us. Father, I pray today that if there is a person here who has yet to give them themselves to you by receiving the word, receiving your perfect expression of love and care, Lord, today would be their day. Lord, you haven't made it difficult. You just said that by believing in him, we would have life. So, Lord, I pray for that one that's been struggling, that one that's been challenged, the one that's been having a hard time. Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you are always near and that your desire is to give them comfort and peace. Lord, remind them of who you are. Lord, remind them that you are God who made his dwelling among us in the flesh. Father, help that person to make that decision they must make. I wish I could make it for them, but I can't. Lord, help them to make it by your leading. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Let's all stand.